him. Kane Sims, the one and only Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Right. I think that was smoother than last time. I think that we're smooth, getting it down, yeah. Yeah, that was as smooth as we've done it, that. Nice one. Well, awesome hello. Video. Say again? It's an awesome video. Like I liked it, the sound yeah, and everything. It was all right, wasn't it? It was good. We're starting to re-rejuvenate the podcast from what we used to have when it was purely audio and trying to get it worked into the video. So hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. There's another line I haven't said for a while, Dustin. Yeah, it's good to good to be back, good to be in the flow. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. I think this is going to be a good one. We were chatting beforehand. I think that we've already got some questions from the audience and, and hoping that we'll get a lot more as well. Indeed. And if you do have any questions, feel free to stick them in the chat. If you are on LinkedIn, it is broadcasting on LinkedIn, so it's actually working, LinkedIn for once. Uh, or if you're on YouTube, wherever you are, feel free to uh, stick the questions in the chat. Today, we're going to talk about the future or AI and the future of customer service and not just the impact on customer service as in customers receiving services from you, but also what's the impact on the business? What's the impact on the staff? What's the impact on the, the structure? What do you, What can you do now to prepare? prepare for that kind of future uh, and what's the best way to do it. And I am delighted to uh, be joined, obviously, by the infamous Dustin Coates, <laughs> but also by Noam Fine of Vonage. Noam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. And you actually pronounced my, my name right. So that is exciting by itself. <laughs> like, I feel like we've, we've done our part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I was getting it wrong for a while. I always, I always, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not too great with names, but I'm glad, glad to have got that. Glad to have got that right. So, uh, tell us, tell us, uh, John. Yes, it will be recorded. Uh, it'll be on YouTube and on the podcast on Monday. And uh, yeah, Necker Wolf is curious to hear about the future of customer service, which we will get to imminently. But first, Noam, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you are, uh, I would say. Mm -hmm probably legendary uh, or a legend in the conversational AI space. You had a lot, a lot of experience. You've done a hell of a lot of work, founded over AI, got acquired. Now you're up to some really interesting stuff with Vonage, but I'll, I'll throw the stage to you uh, for to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your history, a little bit about how you kind of got into this stuff, and then we'll get into what's going on with Vonage and, and stuff like that. Sure. So, um, yeah. AI and AI-related technologies, uh, machine learning for a long while, actually, even before it was called that, uh, I think, and even before technology was uh, so hyped. So um, me, personally, as an entrepreneur for the past, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, 17 years, a long time now, uh, founded with, um, always with uh, my co-founder, uh, Yossi Mawani, we founded a few companies, and the last one, that um, that you've just mentioned over AI um, got acquired by Vonage. Quick word about over AI. Over AI was started with um, the idea of uh, incorporating conversational AI and voice. And even though I think now it's kind of like common with with we we all say voice bots and stuff like that, and uh, we are aware of the technology. When we started it, that was pretty revolutionary. I remember the first time that uh, where we connected these capabilities, conversational capabilities, into voice. And the first voice call that uh, we've made with an actual person, and we were all. It actually started. It's almost like like uh, a gag a little bit because we were 
usually uh, doing um, virtual assistance, but more in, in, um, uh, in the consumer space, um, uh, Alexa and Google Assistant and such. Um, and when we did the first one over a phone call and we were actually, and we saw the, the AI um, a virtual assistant talking over the phone with a person, that was, that was pretty exciting by itself and an eye opener. And an eye opener to what this could be and how this could impact the uh, entire industries. Uh, and uh, this is kind of like the concept of over AI started and grew. And um, we and Vonage was Vonage acquired over AI a year and a half ago. We were very excited to uh, to join. We think um, I can I can share a few words about about Vonage specifically uh, mm -hmm. and. Uh, why we thought that the space and communication space is so exciting. Um, so we were extremely excited to join Vonage um, with the acquisition. Uh, and I'm now heading uh, what's known as Vonage AI, essentially implementing um, uh, AI-based technologies across Vonage um, area of services. Cool, nice. And uh, yeah, so tell so so over AI then that that was, is 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 what is in and we'll get into the specifics of this, but is what is in Vonage now almost exactly what over AI was, and and so over AI is a it's a conversational AI platform, is that right? And what's been brought into Vonage Correct. is, is yeah. that kind of yeah. Sorry, I think there's a bit of a this is where it started. So this is where it started at Vonage, but it grew to so much uh, to so much more. The reason, so a quick word about Vonage and quick word about communication space and why we were so excited about um, combining forces. So we were looking at what's happening within communications and you know, I'm, I, we're, all, we're also even being sp specific around contact center and um, what's, and we're seeing actually more of the stuff and more of the same that has been ep happening uh, for the past tens of years, I guess. Uh, no dramatic change. Well, and this also applies to, applies to communication. At the end of the day, you're seeing somebody picking up the phone on one end, uh, somebody holding the phone on the second end, media going from end to end, and that's it. So moved from analog to digital, voice over IP and stuff like that. The experience itself, the outcome, and actually w even what you're doing with this mechanism remains very much uh, the same. And we thought that this could this could be and must be um, uh, interrupted uh, and disrupted. And uh, when we were looking at the Vonage and when we started discussing Vonage, we found this company that actually covers the, the entire space of communication. Vonage has uh, solutions in the UCAS space, Vonage has solutions uh, in the CC space, uh, and uh, has solutions around API uh, and CPAS. So um, we thought this is, and with that, Vonage becomes very, very much unique in the space, actually covering end-to-end -end everything that you can think around uh, business communication. So we thought this could be uh, the perfect partner to go out and disrupt uh, and disrupt the market. So we did start with technology with implementing conversational AI technologies for Vonage customers and some of its services, and it grew to a concept that is much, much, much bigger today than, than what it used to be. And that's what we call um, intelligent communication. When we're thinking about uh, intelligent communication, for us, this is the future of communication in, in general. This is about 
actually utilizing and looking at communication as data first, because this is what we do when, when you come from artificial um, intelligence and machine learning, everything that you build, actually you build on top of data. So when we're looking at advantage as a digital communication, uh, digital transformation company um, and uh, provider, so we are looking at it as uh, this ocean of data that is out there and nobody is actually capitalizing on the, the our customers uh, or past customers that it's all data that is available for them. So now when that within the pipes within within this, these communication pipes, be it voice, messaging, video, uh, you have underlying data, and when you have data, you can actually build amazing stuff on top of it. You can build you can build advanced analytics that you can provide to your customers, and you can build intelligent applications. Part, one of them being conversational bots, voice, and text, but, you can, but it, that actually goes much further than that. So this is what we're doing now with this shift to intelligent uh, communication, deploying this for our customers and our customers today enjoy the fact that they have intelligence built into every part of the services that they're buying from, uh, from Vonage. Interesting. What would what would an example be of that? I've got a couple of questions to, to dig into some of the things you're saying there, but what's an example, like uh, for people tuning in, what would be a, like in practice example of that intelligent communication? Like what would a use case example be where that stuff is like threaded together? So, um, so let's, let's try and uh, imagine uh, this voice stream coming up from one end to, uh, to the other. Um, if in, in the past, this is what we would just look at it, right? As this stream of media, a little bit like for me, a little bit like water or electricity or something like that running very effectively um, through, the, through the pipes. But now we're actually breaking it down. And we're, when we're seeing voice, we're, we can also see the description and the actual conversation. And when you see that, you can extract sentiment. Uh, you can extract biometrics, extract the, the um, topics of the conversations, summary, action items. And when you deliver the, uh, that to your customers, this media stream uh, is no longer something that happened and it's gone, but it actually transforms into knowledge, something that you can grow from. Um, and this is extremely valuable for, uh, for companies out there because this actually unlocks value for them into how they transform their business, how they grow, how they can grow their revenues, right? How they, they get insights from that on how they can improve their daily operation. So, so something that was just like this interaction all of a sudden becomes something that is an asset that, and that you can grow from. And when you think about it, that is amazing. It goes beyond the concept of digital transformation that deals with operational efficiency actually goes into the space of how do you grow your business, which has different uh, different value, right? Higher one. Hmm. Nomi, you just mentioned a few examples of things that people can do with this new technology. Can you go a little bit more in detail and talk about perhaps some specific customers and how they've used this, these capabilities and what the outcomes have been? Um, definitely, uh, without, without naming, uh, uh, customers, but, um, but when you, um, when you go to analytics, when you see, when you start, um, uh, listening to what's happening as part of these, uh, conversations, you, you know what, let's, let, let, let me give you a different uh, example something that I think we can all relate better. Let's, uh, think about this session that we're having now, right? We, we all have meetings, um, in, uh, inside our company and sometimes with, uh, with others external. Uh, let's, let's imagine this as, uh, as a meeting that we're having. Um, in the past, 
us, this meeting would be just what it is. Some people would listen in, uh, maybe take votes, maybe, maybe not so much. We learned something, it's kept somewhere in our, in our minds, and, and, but then basically it's gone. But what if we take this meeting and if it's being recorded, transcribed, and we extract all these insights, uh, and uh, some of these insights become action items that are sent to you automatically, uh, all of a sudden you can go back to this uh, meeting uh, and search it maybe because uh, insert other meetings, right? Because if you wanted to learn about conversational, conversational AI, uh, you have a lot of meetings around that across your organizations. Um, what if you could do all that all of a sudden this um, this meeting that we have now, right? This video stream becomes knowledge and becomes something that stays and becomes that asset that I was talking about. And in a similar way, this is happening across different meetings that uh, um, that our customers are having uh, using our, our services. I think we can all relate to, and, and Kane, I'm sure you're thinking maybe the same thing. This technology sounds really exciting, right? This opens up a lot of new new worlds and new doors uh, to mix metaphors here. But one of the things that we're hearing a, a lot, these people, uh, those of us in the voice, the NLU space is, what is the, what is the business impact? So taking to your example of the transcription of the meetings and, and uh, recording the notes for the long term, that all sounds really interesting, but when it comes down to it, there's gotta be a money, right? So you're not, you're not offering this for free. There's gotta be that ROI. So what kind of ROI, what kind of metrics are your, your customers seeing when they're integrating Vonage AI? So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to metrics in, uh, in a second. Uh, let's talk about context and respect. Uh, just to uh, to narrow the scope down uh, a little bit. If you go now to uh, most uh, contact centers, ma contact center managers, and you ask them, um, what are people calling about? Uh, they might have an idea. Uh, some of them, actually a larger percent than what we would want to think, uh, have this idea kind of like out of a hunch because mm -hmm. they kind of like know they've been told or something like that. It's not very data-driven. Others have the data because they're using um, some sort of CRM system and you have agents that at the end of the conversation, they will log it and uh, enter some, uh, you know, the, the inquiry topic. So they can run a report around it and know why people are calling in for. But, but at the end of the day, though, kind of like a soft metrics because um, somebody wrote something, um, has a lot of room for error and also it doesn't cover, you have, a, you have a, a call with the customers, 5, 10, 15 minutes sometimes, um, and it doesn't cover the full 15 minutes, right? It just covers a quick word about what, what just happened. Somebody called about a refund. That's simply not enough. But if you, look, if you take these conversations, again, uh, store them, transcribe, a machine classifies the topics uh, from stations, extracts the, the, the main topics and maybe cluster their, um, certain criteria that uh, weren't there before, automatically finds the right clustering. Um, that surfaces uh, data that, um, that uh, wasn't there before. And all of a sudden, you the call flows differently, understanding what's happening. And you can also do that in real time because uh, changes happen all the time. And you can be ag agile enough and not wait uh, for a long period of time uh, until something surfaces, which is too late because it's always already um, very uh, significant uh, within your volume. So, um, so this is another example of how the, that applies in, in the conduct center space. Um, when we're looking at um, uh, metrics and how we drive ROI, um, there are a few uh, a few kind of metrics that uh, we look at. We we obviously with our customers we we want to track um, NPS. 
Um, that's that's always huge. And <clears throat> by the way, a quick note about that. Um, again, when we're looking at contact centers, uh, improving customer service is always key and always the starting point and the benchmark for everything that uh, and for every technology service that uh, contact centers deploy. I, I haven't met a, um, a customer of ours that would deploy anything or would add any functionality without being positive that it will have um, a positive effect on the customer experience that they're providing. It goes beyond cost, 100%. Um, cost saving is secondary in motivation, to, uh, but with, with a distance. So it's always about customer, customer service. So we will track NPS. We will track uh, average handle time, which is dramatically improved always when you add automation, when you add conversational AI. Um, but mainly when we're looking at, uh, at, at physical numbers, few numbers there, uh, cost saving is, is, is a big number, of course, but we would also like to track um, the success rate and, um, um, and the amount of uh, number of minutes and volume that uh, our uh, AI virtual assistants are uh, actually hand handling. And this is uh, both uh, complex and simple. The, the simple part is that actually every minute that you have a bot talking to a person, this is direct ROI because a bot is much cheaper than a person on the phone with, uh, with a customer. So you know that every minute you're on the phone, uh, the virtual assistant is on the phone, you're actually saving, saving money and you're being effective. But it needs to be a successful conversation, right? Uh, so we, we do track uh, success rate and completion rate for these kind of interaction. And that is key. If um, the virtual assistant is on is on the phone or in, on a chat with a customer and it is successful, uh, again, ROI direct and very easy to uh, uh, to understand and relate to. Um, if the conversation is not successful, maybe some time was lost or duplicated there and then it becomes more challenging. So it is critical that, that uh, you reach high success rate and high completion rates to go uh, to consider the ROI uh, in place. Interesting. I'm glad you said completion rates there because uh, you you I've, I've spoke to a number of people who kind of bring that contact center metrics into the AI kind of realm and start talking about things like containment rates and things like that. How many how many people were contained within the IVR system and containment isn't the same as a resolution. So I'm glad to hear you kind of saying to focus on the actual resolution part. And we're going to get out of the future in a minute because that's kind of what we build this as. But, but uh, the, uh, the final thing on, on the, the now, when it comes to measuring the impact of conversational AI, and you mentioned now that you're using minutes. So how long is the AI on the phone for? Because every minute would otherwise have to be paid for if there was a person handling that call. And this is maybe a segue into the kind of future state. As as we kind of keep moving into the future and more conversations uh, more conversations are handled by AI, do you think that that metric will still be a valid metric? Because ultimately, you're not necessarily paying for the AI for the minutes that it uh, has on. I mean, to, to the AI, it doesn't really matter if the phone calls ten minutes, fifteen minutes, thirty seconds. You know, and the more of that you have, do you think that it will still become important to measure the length of time that AI is spending with the user, or do you think that other things will start taking its place as far as the the underpinning KPIs are concerned? I think that's a, a great question. Um, um, to me, looking at it from a cost structure of, of, of a service provider, 
minutes and uh, time is a factor because uh, in a sense uh, you're processing data um, and that is affected by the amount of time you spend on, on a call, right? So you get more data um, and that impacts cost. So it's kind of like easy to price it, uh, price it that way. Um, I, I can imagine different cost structures coming into play, um, uh, pricing models coming into play in future. But I think for now that becomes uh, that becomes a, a valid um, a valid uh, uh, you know unit to look at. I, I also uh, we, we haven't talked about it, but we have we have talked about it briefly in the past. Um, we all started and actually over AI in, in a similar way. Uh, we believe in voice. We think voice is um, uh, you know is prominent. We think it's here to stay. Um, we believe in voice because it's the most natural way for people to communicate forever, right? And uh, it's kind of like this first skill that you acquire when you are born. Maybe it's the only interface that you never need to learn. Um, even, you know, there are some easy interfaces out there, but this is the mo most natural for us. So we, we think voice is here to stay. It's, it, uh, we think it will grow. And with efficiency, techno efficient technologies that will know how to handle it and provide you with a better experience around using your voice, then um, we think it will, you know, it will even go stronger than it is today. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I didn't appreciate that Vonage AI actually is more than the automated agent side of things. We talk about like meeting minutes and transcriptions and, and all kind of stuff. So that, that's, that's good to know. But you mentioned earlier on around when you were creating over AI, you, you noticed that things were broken and you were thinking that things can be better and things like that. Um, I'm going to come on to how long it takes a project to support. Sorry, I'm just reading one of the comments and I'm wondering whether we do this now or whether we, how long it takes a project for a support hotline to find all possible answers for the system before it can be launched. Okay, we'll come on to, we'll come on to that uh, in, a, in a second, uh, Necker Wolf, if that's all right. Uh, so, so you notice a problem and you were saying that the, the current way of, uh, what, I forget the language specifically that you use. You said something like uh, putting conversational AI or what have you in place was almost like a like for like um, transition. There was nothing transformative necessarily about it. And you were trying to sort of tackle that. I think that was, was that, was that the words you used? No, I think, I think when we started over AI, I would go to, um, I would talk to people around the concept and I would have to pitch it and they would be very much skeptical around bots or mm. specifically voice bots and would it work? Will people like it? This is, this is not the conversation anymore, right? This, it's obvious that, uh, that this is technology that's going to be incorporated in your contact center. I don't think you'll find one that will say, no, 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 I, I'm not going to have automation or conversational AI in my contact center. Mm. Um, I'd be very surprised. Mm. And um, uh, so, so I think this is, that's what I'm saying that yeah. I think this is all, this is already table stakes, but, but it's an interesting situation. It is table stakes, but not very much adopted yet. Everybody's kind of like, how do I, how do I start it? Or like uh, Neckerwolf, C can I start? How long does it take? You know, but uh, stuff like that, a little bit hesitant. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll do that question now then, then we'll move on to, to the future. So how, how long does it take then, Noam, for uh, a project, for a support hotline to find all of the possible answers for the system before it can be launched? So I don't think the project shouldn't uh, include all the possible answers uh, for it to be launched. It needs to, uh, you need to find um, um, 
the pain points of uh, which uh, uh, answers should be tackled by the system and where would you want uh, a real person to be uh, to be able to answer the phone. And um, it's kind of easy to separate uh, to separate the two. You just take all the mundane, boring stuff, repetitive, um, low um, low value uh, uh, inquiries that that you're getting right. Um, the ones that um, you don't need any empathy there or uh, intelligence in the sort of like understanding complex scenarios. Just take all of these out of the way and you let the robot robot do that, and you let uh, people handle um, the kind of inquiries that uh, people are good are good in handling, you know, and the, the fact and the ones that actually makes us human where I can express empathy or where I can understand very subtle nuances that maybe machines sometimes uh, struggle with. Uh, but to, to answer your questions, uh, to answer your question, we've actually built a system uh, in a way that can um, allows it to start with very uh, low amounts of uh, training data um, on the get go uh, and, and learn from uh, learn from there. So we are able to uh, to have a project up in a matter of weeks. I can share a real life scenario that we had in COVID. This is this is an extreme project, but uh, we've been approached by by a company that was uh, being hit with massive amounts of inquiries due to COVID. Really, in early days, it was uh, March or April. Uh, we got their email on uh, on a Friday. Hey, we need help. We need it urgent. Um, they were not a Vonage customer. Uh, and uh, and we were up live with them on a Monday, so team ev- everybody was on it for uh, for the weekend, and uh, and we were taking live calls, thousands of calls uh, on Monday. Uh, th- this was something that I was v- very proud of because um, to me that was proof that um, I don't know if it comes out like I'm pitching Vonage here. I'm actually I'm actually not. I'm just like really excited about all this stuff. <laughs> and but to me that was proof that we built. Uh, this both the system and the human skills that we have to set this up, and probably we'll get to this in a minute. That we build it, we built it right uh, because I can't I, I can't name a company other than us that can have a project like that up and running in three in three days and being success, successful at, at getting these live calls. Mm. That's quick, Dustin. Three days. Yeah, it's pretty That's quick. Very- <laughs> That's lightning quick. Um, okay then. Okay, so so. Let's 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 fast forward then. So you mentioned that it's not this technology is not hugely adopted right now, although the the wheels are starting to turn. Um, there is a lot more interest in this space, not just from 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 the voice AI community and from providers like like Vonage and and, and players like that, but generally in the contact center, a lot of a lot of heads of customer experience, um, you know, heads of contact center, heads of transformation initiatives, they, they're starting now to look at this and think, well, there's some real business value here. I think we can really kind of achieve something. So there seems to be like this groundswell of, of uh, act- activity going on. Um, and do you, so one of the things I was saying the other day, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was, I was saying that I think that in, whether it's five years or 10 years or whatever it is, every company, more or less, the first point of contact no matter what channel you use, will be some form of AI, some form of assistant. Um, uh, you know, whether you text them, whether you email them, whether you phone them, whatever it is, the first point of contact will be an AI, and that's the way I kind of see things going. And I was just wonder whether you can describe what you think the future of customer service looks like. Um, 
let's do that first and then we'll go into the knock-on effects and, and we'll get into what organizations need capability-wise, skill-wise, staffing-wise to be able to, um, you know, go on that kind of journey. So first of all, what, what do you think the, the future of customer service looks like? Is it an AI-first world? Like what, what, what do you see if you fast forward five years? Yeah, it is, it is definitely an AI-first world. And uh, this to me is a little bit uh, frustrating. And I'll tell you why, because if we're talking about five or 10 years from now, um, probably I won't have patience to see it uh, through. <laughs> so, so we started something and when this becomes like uh, such a such a reality where you can capitalize on it, I'll probably be doing something else. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yes, I think we, we're sadly looking at maybe uh, that amount of, of years, um, but I think it's um, very much obvious that it is a reality. Um, I'll step, I'll take a step back a little bit and talk about bots and the trends that we we saw. So it all started with, with chatbots and everybody were super hyped and everybody was were only talking about chatbots and then everybody got really frustrated because it didn't work. This first wave uh, was kind of crappy and the experiences were bad. Mm. Um, but then we're now seeing the technology uh, evolve and improve dramatically. We're seeing uh, amazing stuff being done with, uh, with voice AI and with conversational AI. And, uh, and I think also to the realization where, um, where this is 100% the future. But when you're looking at what's actually happening in, in the industry, you're seeing that we're not even uh, scraping the surface, really, not, not even there, not, in, not even in the single percent of hand, handling the, the amounts of volume. And, uh, and when you look at these, on one, understanding that it's a reality for everybody, and second, that nothing is happening right now, you understand the in-between the in is, is the potential. So I'm 100% positive, 1,000% positive that uh, each and every contact center out there, small or big, uh, will have uh, AI deployed across uh, its operation. I think we will see in the smaller ones, we will see more of the hybrid AI and human agents uh, working uh, together. And in the lar larger one, <clears throat> we will see it more uh, separated where AI will handle most of the volume uh, very effectively and will and humans will be there to provide some sort of special expertise, kind of inquiries that, uh, that also come with uh, the nature of business of uh, the larger enterprises. Um, we will see AI deployed end-to-end uh, -end, so both in terms of automation and virtual agents, but also uh, in the underlying technologies of handling these calls, analyzing them, and how all this data is being um, processed to CRM and the, and, and the insights are driven to improve the business. So I think it will be an all around dramatic shift um, that is only now starting. It's really in the infantry uh, kind, of, uh, kind of stage. What do you think, Dustin? What, what do you concur with those kind of visions? What, what what's your thoughts on on the future of customer service? Uh, man, I I don't like to make predictions because I'm always wrong. Uh, but I mean, it, it sounds reasonable, right? I think um, one thing that I think when you're mentioning this, right, you're thinking about um, the smaller ones, right? The smaller ones might have this hybrid. Um, but I think the larger ones might have the hybrid as well, or they will have the hybrid because there's always going to be things that the AI can't handle. There's always going to be things that you're going to have to hand off. And the goal really is to, to reduce that number as much as possible, but I don't think you're ever going to get it to zero. Uh, 
the interesting thing for the smaller players are really going to be these these one-shot models these ones where there's not a lot of data that needs to go into it to train or or really no data that needs to go into it to train because if you are a if you are a candle maker right or a baker or or, or what have you at a, a in a small town or even a you know mid-sized city but you're not a national chain you're not going to have this data or you know even if you're just starting out with this new support channel you're not going to have that data either so really a lot of this power in my opinion is going to be coming from these models that can be stood up without any or with very little data Kane, what do you think about the future? I, I, I think that's a really sensible way of thinking about it because the like in in the in the example there of I mean it's it's, it's we've kind of seen it I mean it's, it's why Apple acquired Voices or at least my theory around why Apple acquired Voices was because Voices had expert domain knowledge about retail queries and so you know if, if you imagine kind of in your baker example you know a small business that does one thing let's call it baking once once the once once somebody has understood the language model required to support that baking use case then really it's it's already kind of happened it's already been trained it shouldn't require there might be things like edge cases where you know the ai can't handle it it's specific to a to a specific baker they've got a specific product or whatever but broadly speaking you know once you've got the understanding of the, these are the conversations that happen in this environment you can kind of train the model and then you can almost have like an out of the box solution is that what you see noam can you do you see that for certain areas for certain verticals for certain industries you're going to be able to over time once you've collected the data there is an opportunity to then start standardizing those language models and conversations or do you think everyone's going to need their own version of something um i would like to yes first of all yes this is going to be uh, a significant uh, portion of how this will play but i, I will suggest another um, another approach and i'll give you an analogy I saw this uh, company that I thought was very, very cool. It's called, um, I think it's called Automata or something like that. They're based in London. And what they do is they build um, relatively cheap robotic arms that you can uh, train yourself. Mm. Today, if you want to deploy uh, robots in your factory, this is, this is a pretty expensive operation. These robots cost 100,000K or more. And, you know, so it, it's not for the baker, right, or, um, or the very small business. Um, but I did see, so, but this company, they make this robotic arm that you can train yourself um, and they sell them for like around $7,000, uh, which makes it affordable. And I saw how uh, it's being used in, um, in a very small um, stamp maker. So I think it was in Manchester. Um, so it was a four people operation. And they had one employee that was taking stamps from one place to the other. That he was doing basically that as part of their manufacturing line, very small. Um, this robotic arm, the way that it works, he just does the same action, but he does it with the robotic arm, right? It takes it, uh, takes the stamp, puts it back, and it train it. It trains it like that a little bit by just being doing the repetitive work. Sensors collect um, what is what is doing, and over time, it learns to do it by itself. It's done. Basically, he can move on to his next task and train potentially another arm like that, another robotic arm. Um, so what, what happened there, you basically, um, and we can talk about the impact that it has on, on the business in a second, but this kind of model that lets you basically train over time, you start with zero data 
and you just walk hand to hand with this machine and trains it train it over time in, in, in a process that is almost seamless I guess to your day-to-day uh, -day business and then over time it basically takes over so think about something like that as a way to deploy automation uh, in these uh, smaller smaller businesses mm. so what impact does that have on the business then because right right now everyone's kind of fumbling around trying to trying to initiate these automation um initiatives uh, and you're right you know you're talking about conversation now on the front end and then also more automation on the back end and i think that's definitely gonna we're already seeing that happen with with platforms that are partnering with rpa platforms and things like that and, and, and all that kind of stuff but and i think that but what what i'm trying to get to is most people most of the time don't really think beyond like 12 months or so or at the very at the very like you know three years maybe is a good horizon to think at. but i think that most people tend to think like we've got a problem right now our calls are ringing off the hook phones ringing off the hook we don't have the bodies to deal with it anyway so we need to do something today we need to do something now and then there is a school of, of thought that is all about kind of like the robots are coming and you know taking our jobs and all this kind of stuff and so in that environment there that we that we've kind of just described the future of customer service we're being conversational ai fronted the more conversations that AI handles, inevitably the less conversations humans are handling. And so the question is like, that, that seems logical as a, as a first part of call, like today, we need to automate something today because we've got a real problem. We need to create the capacity to be able to handle things and use the AI to kind of fend off some of that demand so that we can manage things. But as things progress and as things go, and let's, let's say it's three years, five years, whatever, the AI starts automating more and more front-end conversations, starts automating more and more back-end conversations. We're kind of almost at that point, potentially. Or things move, obviously. And, and if you take this in isolation, you're missing out on everything else that might happen that, that impacts things and all that kind of stuff. But if we do take this in isolation and we say that AI starts automating more and more conversations, there'll be a lot of people listening to this thinking, well, what about all those jobs? What about all those people? So now inevitably new skills might be needed, new new jobs might be created and whatnot. But what what are your answer what's your answer to that potential problem whereby the AI might be replacing human jobs? And what kind of jobs will need to exist in that future state where if your frontline services are increasingly managed by AI for those people listening in now who are thinking we're doing this, we're going through the process. They've got bots live. They've they've done a degree of automation. What's next when you increase the automation? What happens to the staff and what what skills do you need to maintain it? Okay, you you've you've asked a lot of questions there, and yeah. uh, so I'll try and, and answer all of them. Uh, I'm glad you were following because I have no idea what I've just said. First of all. I'm not worried at all. Actually, it's it's the other way around. Everything is just going to be so much better. So for all of you that's listening and have been worried until now, you know, you, you can all relax. It's just going to be amazing. Um, and I have tons to say about this. First of all, let's, uh, let's imagine the revolu revolution that came with like automation in, in factories, right? Um, factories came in and they brought automation and robots and we all know this, you know, Charlie Chaplin kind of like movie in modern times and everybody was scared that the jobs are going to be taken. Um, think about a factory now and a factory a hundred years from, uh, ago, which one do you want to be operating, right? At which one do you think where employees are happier this in today's world or like 100 years, years ago? Nobody would take their current operation and take it 100 years back. 
like regardless of, of efficiency uh, for the sake of the people. So I think we're going to see exactly the same effect on people working in, in the contact center space. Their life is just going to be amazing. And I'll, I'll, I'll go back to, um, um, to the example that I actually uh, gave a minute ago about like this small business, because I was looking at the guy that was teaching the robotic arm. He was this simple employee, no specific uh, education or anything like that. He was, um, you know, doing his basic job. And, uh, but, but he was, he was happy. Um, he was challenged with new technology. He could open He's not the guy that moves stamps from side to side. He's actually a guy that trains robots which is, I don't know, at least sounds a hundred times better. And it, it actually is because it's much more interesting. He was sitting on his laptop and like having like, doing like drag and drop, using a drag and drop tools to, to teach it over, to do additional stuff. So his life in this very small stamp business just became so much better and better. And in a similar way, it's going to be the same in the conduct center space. We're seeing, we're seeing a major churn in conduct center. You know, um, one of the highest throughout every industry. It is. It is a very. It is a very hard job to to maintain it, specifically because, regardless of the fact that people can be, you know, annoying the the customers that are calling in, and specifically if you live in a country like mine, but uh, but it but so people are yelling at you, and it it's it's very repetitive all the time, again and again and again, doing the same stuff. Uh, it is just not stuff that people are good at doing. We're not good at being robots. We're just bad at it. Uh, we suffer from it, and then people leave. So it's very hard. It's not about, only about churning the contact center, but actually it's very hard to find people to facilitate the jobs that you need uh, to meet scale and stuff like that. So when you bring in, you'll, what will happen is a little bit the same as what happened with this guy in, in the stamp shop. Uh, you are going to upgrade your employees to be superv supervisor, to become high-tech employees that actually train uh, robots work hand to hand with them, uh, monitor them. Their job is going to be much more interesting and uh, less repetitive, less boring. Uh, you're going to suffer less. They're going to be happier, um, and and everything is just going to be more. So uh, with that, I, I truly believe that uh, everybody's well-being is going to is going to improve. I'm not worried about unemployment or anything like that at all. That's, this has proven over time and over, you know, the past hundreds of years to just not happen. Um, with progress, we um, new jobs that weren't there before, and we'll see that happening big time in the contact center. Um, people will just have better stuff to do than what they're doing now. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think... Um... One of the things that you'll have people like the guy in Manchester who is enthusiastic, you know, anyone who's ever worked on any transformation kind of initiative, you'll, you, that's what you need to find is you need to find those champions, those people who are influential within their department, who are keen, who can kind of get on board and, and bring it to the rest of the group kind of thing. But then you've got people like, you know, I don't know, little little old kind of Kevin or, or Sally who kind of like just turn up to work because they just turn up to work. If they've got to answer the phone all day, fine. They're just kind of like, you know, maybe they're close to retirement and you know, whatever, you know, they're not necessarily thinking about careers. They just, they like turning up, they like socializing, they like answering calls and all that kind of stuff. And and for, for those kind of people, I think that the, the one, well, one thing is everybody thinks that the future 
they base the future on what things are, are right now. So you mentioned there the, the factories and stuff like that and, and the industrial revolution. People think about the future based on where things are and the current situations in the current environment. But technology doesn't just change. Everything else moves with it. Society moves with it. The world changes with it. And so the, the reality of five years, 10 years time, the whole world's going to be in a different place anyway. And so things move, things change, you know. But if we were to use that mental model of things are as they are right now and nothing changes and fast forward, and now the bots have taken over our jobs. One of the things, <laughs> one of the things that, that, that these teams will need, maybe, is, this would be good to get your thoughts on, is is access to tools to be able to, you know, in that case with a factory, train that bot. In this case, train and maintain conversational AI potentially. And we're kind of talking about um, one of the things that that will enable that. We're doing a lot. We're doing a lot of stuff at the moment around. Um, like maturity, conversational AI maturity. And there's no, there's no difference there than, than digital transformation maturity, which is that it starts out in an embryonic phase, you're researching, then it moves to like innovation, where it's in the innovation team or the R&D team, people are playing around with it. Maybe you launch something, you put something live, you learn the value, and then it kind of scales from that incubation, if you like, or innovation into like almost like a center of excellence or something like that. And then from the center of excellence, th that one team can only do so much. And so you need to, with technology, devolve it to the organization and you move to this like digital factories model where you've got people or small teams within departments that are responsible for whatever the initiative is in this case conversational ai and then you move into this kind of like total capability where everybody understands it and does it it's a little bit like either social media or a little bit like um you know website front self-service like it's just part of the business now and that's what everyone feeds into the website content and all that kind of stuff and so to get through that phase and, and the reason why i was talking about kevin and sally is because they're not going to code they're not going to understand the language they're not going to understand any of that and what they really need is tooling you know that'll help them uh, get on with their life and get on with their job. And so we've mentioned once already about language models being created on their own using domain knowledge that they've that they've stacked up all, over the years. You know, we haven't spoke about the advances in NLU, Dustin, and, and natural language generation as well, which might kind of fuel further sort of automation of, that, of those language models and that. And we're starting to see now drag and drop tools and stuff like that, um, which make access to the to ai easier and so so i suppose what i'm trying to get around to is the democratization of conversational ai with drag and drop tools with self-building uh, language models and things like that i imagine that's what will continue to happen is that democratization of it so that anybody can eventually in 10 years time use it and so two questions one is do you agree with that that kind of whole maturity and the concept of AI needing to be democratized? And two, what areas do you think right now could be made easier to use for people that don't code? Um, so I, I, uh, I agree 100%. Uh, I think that's exactly uh, what's happening and where we should go. And um, this is how we internally advantage. We look at our roadmap for the contact center. So it's not about um, the contact center today as it is, but we have in mind the people that will be utilizing our software and our tools. Um, what will they need to support in this uh, brave new world? And uh, what are the tools that they will need in order to, uh, to operate it uh, properly? Um, so we are um, looking mainly at um, tools for training and monitoring these kind of uh, 
uh, kind of activities. Uh, we can try to talk about um, the talent that, that uh, you need uh, any minute, but, and you are completely right. It starts with drag and drop. We always, this is non-programmers. It all needs to be very intuitive. It all needs to be in line with how we are used to work uh, with, uh, with the current tools that we have and the kind of interactions and our current knowledge. So we start with uh, drag and drop tools that uh, mimic very nicely the call flows that we usually uh, that we're familiar with and that we are being taught or that are being um, uh, sent to uh, representatives when some, when a new script is being uh, deployed, uh, and we are looking at monitoring um, uh, the automation, the conversational AI activity, uh, and um, the virtual agents activity. So. Uh, it can be monitored to uh, improve, to be uh, taught, to be um, to uh, to understand new language, uh, and new scenarios, uh, <clears throat> and and supervision tools, uh, next generation analytics uh, that will allow you to uh, to better understand what's going on as part of these uh, conversations. Curious to get your thoughts, Justin, on that kind of democratization of, especially on the NLU side. I know you've done work with GPT-3 and all that kind of stuff like where, where do you see that kind of thing heading do you think that more over time more and more kind of like not the transactional stuff but answers to questions finding information do you think that's going to get to a point where that is pretty much able to be totally automated or do you think there's there's always going to need to be people who who are there to to keep on top of it keep populating it with new content all that kind of stuff yeah, you know, we mentioned I mentioned this before that I don't think it's ever going to get completely automated. There's always going to be things that uh, a computer can't understand, uh, or at least within the foreseeable future. The goal here is, at least from the business perspective, to reduce that number of uh, the number of times that someone has to speak with someone. You look at uh, you speak with you know customer support teams out there, and they're some of the most metric driven people. Uh, out there, right? Because they are measured on how much they are costing the company. And so they, they'll tell you, you know, it costs five to $10. Sometimes you talk to people who it costs hundreds of dollars every time they actually have to speak with someone. And so if you can reduce that by just 1%, 2%, you know, up to five or 10%, that's a huge cost savings uh, for the company. And so I definitely feel like, uh, why well, disagree with Noam that it, it's maybe a good thing that AI is uh, potentially taking over everything or taking over 90%. I do think at least there is a business interest there for the, the computers, the AI to take over the easy stuff and to have the experts, to have the humans step in when things are actually complex and actually fulfilling. Hmm. Uh, I, I think it's Andrew. Um, the, the name is Active Chat. I'm assuming it's Andrew from Active Chat. Uh, I wasn't actually, I didn't see that question. I genuinely asked Dustin that question, but Andrew's asking a very similar question. So we'll throw it to you, Noam. Do you see any future for tools like GPT 3 in customer service? I think uh, GPT uh, is, uh, is very exciting. Uh, definitely, I can see the future of. Um, of uh, future tools being developed with similar similar models. I'm not sure exactly about if it will be GPT-3 because it's a, it has its own limitation limitations and um, uh, kind of like limited, limited, it's funny to say limited because the amounts of data behind it are so immense, but it is limited to that kind of data, which makes it less feasible for, um, for very specific industries and verticals. But the models behind it and the idea 
that uh, it can shorten significantly the 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 amount of time that um, that you need to invest and training that you need to invest in virtual agents uh, that I think is exactly where uh, things uh, should go and where it will go in, in the next generation of uh, virtual agents. I think that actually brings up a good question. I'd be interested in getting your thoughts, Nelman. Uh, I can guess uh, your perspective, at least as a service provider, but GPT-3 costs, well, I think it was $12 million to train. These models that uh, you know we're seeing that are state of the art now from Google, from Microsoft, from Amazon, they're coming from them because they're really the only ones that have that amount of money. So, do you see the system where even a you know a Fortune 500 company, but that's maybe in the like 400 to 500 size, are they going to have the resources to create these models to run this AI themselves, or are they going to have to go to service providers, whether it's AWS, Azure, or uh, or Vonage? It, how is that going to go? Is AI getting so complex that it's getting priced out for everyone but the FANG? The thing that in the space that we are relating to right now, we've, we saw a lot of models that are actually low data models that are outperforming the models that, uh, that are data heavy. Um, so it's not about uh, how much data you, you have necessarily. Uh, needs to, you need to focus uh, uh, on the kind of problem that you're looking to solve. And sometimes uh, different models are actually achieving better, better results. And we are seeing that in, in most of our um, uh, systems, again, for these specific interactions that we're looking to accommodate. Uh, we have models in place that rely on low data and are performing amazingly well. So uh, I don't think you need to be uh, super rich in order to develop your own model. And um, uh, it, it's not always in, in huge amounts of, of data. Are those transfer learning models or are those models uh, trained from, from the base? Uh, both. We use, uh, we use hybrid. Sorry, sorry for that. We use, uh, hybrid, uh, hybrid, uh, models. It really depends on uh, the kind of solution that we're building. Cool. Um, got a couple of more questions coming through. Uh, one from Jessica Brady. Currently many customers complain about AI and customer service. Uh, how do we optimize the bots to alleviate that frustration versus when you talk to a human? Um, so it really, so <laughs> big, big, big question here. No, I'm, so I, um, it really depends on the, on the solution. Right. And I was referring to that, uh, a little bit before, I think, uh, the previous generation of, uh, solutions that were out in chatbots, uh, were just, uh, were just not very good. I think, um, What's what's maybe missing in in the process, and I'm sure that uh, you will relate with this, Kane. I think is is the expertise of what you're building, what are you deploying, and and where we have we have a team of conversation uh, designers uh, that are doing just that. They will sit with uh, with the customer, um, understand what kind of inquiries are are coming in, what's the nature of conversations, what you do tackle, and and what not. Where can you deliver the right results, and and where not. Uh, or where does it need more time in order to be trained? Uh, and I think this is um, this is where where the, the kind of like uh, the secret sauce is. Uh, there is still human touch in the process, and you need the expertise in order to know what you're doing and deliver a successful a successful project. And um, this is this kind of uh, metric uh, is definitely something that you need to track, right? If people are, are complaining, you're doing some, something wrong. 
Mm. What do you think, Dustin? Any uh, any other things that we can do to optimize for customer frustration? Are customers that frustrated? That you know, what what are, yeah, what can you do to to optimize for that? I've been frustrated in the past, that's for sure. What about you, Ken? <laughs> I have. I can give you an example. I'm going to do a video about this. Um, my bank, right, Metro Bank. I'm going to call you out. Uh, I tried to call them last Friday. And I literally put, have I put the video up? Yeah, I can't remember if I put the video up yet or not. Anyway, I, I called them last Friday and I can show you the uh, the thing. I don't know if you can see that. It's really blurred. Basically, I had to call them three different times. There, put it, max it so people can see. I had to call them three different times. And um, what happened, all I was trying to do, I was locked out of my bank. That's all it was. Uh, they just kept freezing me. And so I had to call, press one for this, press two for that. No, no. Call, I think I think there was I called it I had to press what yeah that's, that's it. it it wasn't actually conversationally it was me having to press one and press two um, and I ended up getting put on hold for however long I was put on hold for finally got through to someone the conversation was like a two minute conversation and it was done um, so I've been frustrated on that front I can't actually think of a conversation I've had recently with with an automated agent. I can't actually think of a conversation I've had with I'll end there. I can't actually think of a conversation I've had recently with an automated agent, so I don't know. But yeah. Were you ever happy with such conversation? Did you ever experience like like a true amazing conversation that you had with a virtual agent? I've had a good one with Go on. I've had a good one with Amazon. Uh, Amazon usually when I've contacted them, it's it's been a person, but I've had one automated one where it was able to solve my my problems altogether. You know, it's interesting. I sort of think about uh, automated customer support, AI-driven customer support, uh, sort of in this, this will maybe be a controversial metaphor, is sort of like drone strikes. You know, a lot of people are against drone strikes because if you're going to go into war, you're going to, to kill people, you need to have some skin in the game and you can't just, uh, you know, be, be sitting safely off. And so I think customer support is the same way. If you're going to have bad customer support, you should at the very least have some skin in the game. Uh, otherwise, it's this asymmetrical situation where you're, you're putting your customers in this terrible situation, but you're not willing to put your employees, you're not willing to put your team in there as well. So I, I definitely can feel uh, what Jessica is mentioning here, that bad customer su uh, support is bad. Bad customer support where it's just AI driven is even worse because there's, you know you can't reason with it and you know that you're wasting your time and no one else is wasting their time. But you just need to have the right fallbacks in place and you need to have the system understand frustration, uh, see that something is going wrong, uh, be very sensitive to the situation and, and fall back to, to a human in that case. And uh, this is, by the way, how we usually um, kick, kickstart. When, uh, when we first go live, we have, uh, we have all these, um, um, we have the mechanism in place to understand that the conversation is going wrong and not iterate it again and again, but, but fall back, um, learn, basically learn from what happened, improve over time, but just being very sensitive as you onboard and as you go, uh, as you onboard more and more traffic, uh, also be aware of that kind of like sensitivity. Mm. I, I I wonder whether um, there is that much kind of frustration. There is frustration. I can see that. But what the point I was getting onto with, with the the Metro Bank is that I would have preferred that to be a conversation with a bot because it's relatively straightforward. It would have took me far quicker. Um, and so I, I wonder whether if you call someone or you send them a Facebook message or WhatsApp or whatever it might be, um, 
if you get an agent or an AI behind it, I don't know whether or not there'll be kind of, um, I think you just get on with it. And if it doesn't work, yes, it's frustrating. But I don't know whether it's like, yeah, I think once you call someone, if you speak to an agent, you just kind of get on with it, you know. Obviously, it needs to be designed well. And it needs to actually work. And I think part of that is not trying to bite off more than you can chew with doing something that's too complex, starting with a crawl first with something that's more straightforward. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we've got, we've got, we've got other questions. We, we, we're out of time now. There's still 14 people tuning in. I don't know whether you've got another couple of minutes to answer the last two questions, Noam. Sure. I see one by, uh, by, Dom, by Dominic. Uh, yeah, we've, got one by Dominic. we've got one by Julia, which we might, uh, which we might look to first. Julia put that there a while back. How are you doing for time? Justin, have you got two minutes to finish off these last couple of comments? I think I've got two minutes. Cool. Okay, so let's let's do these relatively quickly. So Julia Anderson, uh, how do you think AI will improve customer experience or worker productivity for telehealth, specifically call centers? Uh, easy one for me. Uh, if uh, understanding the nature of uh, the interactions that you have around telehealth, actually a lot of a lot of, um, a lot of uh, logistics. Uh, that are involved uh, around uh, scheduling uh, and managing the different processes that uh, that you have behind it. Uh, this is something that uh, that AI does very effectively. AI handle these kind of uh, interactions. Uh, additionally, um, uh, there is sensitivity around data protection around telehealth. So you need to make sure that you meet the standard provider that meets these uh, standards. But uh, but. Um, we are all aware that um, there is extra importance for logging uh, these kind of interactions, being able to track them, being able to understand what happened. If you're being recommended uh, some sort of treatment or medicine, being able to follow up on that. And this is something that advanced analytics today can uh, provide relatively uh, easy. Cool. Uh Andrew said time lag seems to be one of the most frustrating parts. Um, with the conversational AI. Uh, we've got one last question from Dominic. Why should venture capitalists have a closer look at conversational AI and voice tech? And how would you define the market potential? A little bit left field. It's a good one to end on that. Sure. I, I think we, we tapped uh, this question uh, a little bit. Uh, the market for contact center is huge. Uh, it's, uh, I think... You have, if you're looking at the number of employees, I think it's, it's around $150 billion uh, in salaries paid only in the U.S. to contact center employees. I think around 4 million people are, are uh, entering calls in contact centers uh, in, the, in the U.S. And th this is not the biggest market, right? The, the, uh, the market is so much bigger uh, when you're looking also at uh, outsource, et cetera. Um, right now, conversational AI, like I said, is barely even scraping the surface. We're looking at a friction of the volume being handled, handled by uh, by bots today versus incredible amounts of volumes uh, over text and, and more uh, importantly, voice. Um, so the market is huge. The numbers are staggering. And uh, and uh, right now, it's really what, what Conversation AI is doing is only, like I said, a, a friction of uh, the actual potential. So I think uh, there are going to be amazing winners in, in the space room for a lot of companies to be very successful either being vertical or going or going broad but uh, i would definitely invest uh well i kind of did right i invest my money in uh in, in the space 
Nice, nice. Well, Noam, this has been absolutely fantastic. It's it's uh, gone in directions I didn't think it would go, which I think has been it's been wicked. And thank everyone for for the conversations and for the for the questions. It's been absolutely immense. Where can people find out a little bit more about Vonage AI and, and the kind of work that you do? And if they're interested in in having a closer look, what's the best way for them to go and do that? Either go to vonage.com or uh, simply email me directly, noam.fine at vonage.com. Uh, feel free, any question that we might have missed, uh, or if you want to follow up in any way, or just uh, think how we should uh, start, um, just shoot me an email. Cool. Fantastic. Any any closing thoughts, Dustin? No, just thank you so much, Noam, and thank you to everyone, like you mentioned, who is active in the chat as well. Cool. Well, next week is, bear with me, bear with me, bear with me, Justin Randall. Who, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a very good one. We're going to be talking about deploying, um, I, I, I need to work out the company actually. Let me let me just do this before. Uh, it's, uh, it's going to be good, but not it's going It's going to be what? It's gonna be good, a good one, but not as good as this one. This this one. Yeah, this this has been the best one we've had for a while. I'm gold, not, gold standard up here. Yeah, I'm not just saying that. It has actually been really, really good. Uh, uh, Comwave. Apologies, Justin. Uh, Justin Randall of Comwave is going to be talking to us about deploying dialogue flow into a contact center for the very first time. So this is uh, going to be an interesting one for anyone who's just doing this for the first time and who's looking at dialogue flow. So do check it out. Once again, Noam, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's been thank an you. absolute pleasure. Immensely, immensely interesting. Uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us. I know it's late over there, so thank you even more for for hanging around later, later into the evening. And uh, yeah, as Dustin said, thank you all for for tuning in, and we'll see you.